Hello, welcome to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. And I'm Adam Papagan. And today on Culture Dumps, we are discussing one of the biggest foleys in live television history, if not television as a whole. Adam is usually our fast food correspondent, but he's also a wealth of knowledge of uh, television history and tropes. So I thought he'd be a fitting host of our team to have on today. Uh, how you been, though, by the way? Oh, good. Yeah, things are good. Great. Yeah, but we'll get to all the stuff you've been up to uh, towards the end here. So we've talked about a couple TV things. We, we had another one we were choosing between, which we're going to end up doing in the future. Not going to say it, but we decided on this one because I thought it would be easier <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to do it fast. And it ended up just like all dumps being a lot deeper than I expected. Uh, today, we are talking about the mystery of Al Capone's vaults. This was a live television special that came out in 1986, hosted by Geraldo Rivera. What are your thoughts? Just going into it. I liked it. It always gets shit on. People are like, oh, Geraldo's so dumb. They never found anything. I thought it was an entertaining block of television. And I don't I don't care if they found anything. I found something. Right. Yes. Yeah, that I liked it. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's something there. And yes, that is the whole thing, folks. Basically, what this was, it was one of the most watched live television events in history. It launched one of the most successful careers in television. And it was a complete failure content wise. It created a genre mm -hmm. of television or helped to create a genre of television that is known as the no news format or hypothetical news. It's kind of like what they do with presidential races. It's like treating a news topic or like a report as a sporting event where you don't know who's going to win or lose. You know, there's a little bit of chance involved in these. So you kind of keep it going live until the thing happens. It's, it's an interesting kind of a thing. And there are other examples, but this was the biggest. What's well, a news dump? I think it would be with the type of uh, sub dump this is yeah yeah definitely definitely a news dump this is from our news agency <laughs> a media circus and I love uh, current events as they're happening I don't I'm not in sports right. I uh, like everyone loves following I mean if it bleeds it leads it, it's it goes it's, it yeah. goes all the way back and this story kind of has it all um, and it, it has a lot of you know it holds a lot of relevance nowadays as well, uh, again, considering that Geraldo Rivera is huge. So we're going to get into it. Let's give a little a brief on Geraldo Is here. Geraldo really huge? Geraldo's, well, I mean, it's, yes. Yeah, at the end of the day, yeah. He's, that talk I mean, show, he, really? He's been around forever. That talk show spawned a thousand, you know, it, it sailed a thousand ships. Mm, okay, I mean, fine. He, all right, yeah. He, Influential, he, huge. And we'll get into some of the most important stuff he did, which was earliest in his career. But Geraldo Rivera began his television career as a reporter for WABC-TV's Eyewitness News. His popularity and respect in the world of journalism hit a high mark in 1972 when he covered the tragically dysfunctional Willowbrook State School in Staten Island, New York. Willowbrook was an institution for children with intellectual and developmental disabilities. His report lifted the veil on one of the worst instances of abuse in American medicine, and the special won him the Peabody Award that year. You can see this on YouTube, folks. It is really disturbing. Basically, there was such neglect and abuse happening within this home for you know disa mentally disabled students and, and children. They're all children. I think the oldest was 17, then you would get put into the the big boy uh, mental hospital. 
and a, a doctor that, you know, kept trying to make changes and, you know, through bureaucracy and all that stuff kept getting like swatted down. He snuck a key out to Geraldo. And when you watch this special, it's I mean, they're, they're filming it as it's going. So they hide in the bushes. They sneak to the door. They go in. And these children are sitting in their own feces. They're screaming out. Some of them are just sitting there banging their heads on the wall. I mean, it's everything a horror movie gives you in a scary mental hospital, but with children. I don't know if you've ever saw that. I got to see this. It, yeah. And I mean, heard it, about it. It is really, you know, when Geraldo has done interviews about it since, he always cries. And it's not like news guy cry. It's like the, he saw some shit that really scarred him. I mean, scarred everyone. And he said the smells are the, of the place is what really stands out to him. So right off the bat, I mean, two years into his career being on the news, he does some incredible groundbreaking shit. That's kind of the the whole thing. And that special, you'll be interested in this, Adam, it caught the attention of John Lennon, and the two of them organized a concert at Madison Square Garden to benefit mental health and, oh. and places like that. Yeah, and Yoko Ono, like years and years later, released like a, a recording of that concert. So uh, there's some Beatles connection with, with Geraldo there. And so, yes, one more reason why he is a big deal. <laughs> I like his mustache. Yes, he's famous for for his mustache, much like uh, Yanni, who we talked about in a previous episode. So Rivera went on to become one of the most respected reporters on television, mostly due to his coverage of controversial topics. For instance, Rivera was the first person on a U.S. network television channel to mention the AIDS virus as the AIDS virus. Before that, it was always referenced as a gay cancer, mysterious disease. Uh, they would just only reference the groups of people that it affected, mainly harping on you know deviant homosexuals and intravenous drug users. And Geraldo was the first reporter on television to say you know, or to call it AIDS when when they finally gave a name to it kind of an important moment um, you know since the president wouldn't say it on television for about four years after that <laughs> so, so there's that in 1985 though here's where it turns Rivera was fired from ABC after he publicly voiced his complaint that fellow reporter Sylvia Chase's special on Marilyn Monroe's affairs with John and Robert Kennedy was canned due to the head of ABC News Broadcasting Rune Ulrich's relationship with the Kennedy family now, years later, in 2015, Rivera claimed that the official reason on paper why he was fired was because he made a $200 donation to a nonpartisan mayoral race candidate. Um, yeah, basically, I mean, everyone kind of knows the assumed scandal of Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys. You know, she, she bounced around between the brothers. You know, happy birthday, Mr. President. We all know that. And uh, But there was never... Uh, a, a documentary or a, a special on you know, it. What happened to this special? It was canned. It's got, so it's lost. Yeah, it's it's either shelved Ugh. or it's lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know the the guy was friends with the Kennedys, and okay, this Ugh. is you know because to come to be on ABC, I mean, you can make a billion documentaries nowadays and just throw it on any streaming service. But for a reputable network like ABC to put something out, the assumption is that this is all real. And a lot of money at stake, all the advertising they're going to put in that. Oh, completely. That's their business. So just to can something mysteriously, that would be, I think, a, a winner. Right. And Geraldo, though, their top guy, it was a big enough deal for them to fire him over it. So by 1986, Geraldo wanted little to do with television and had turned down a number of job offers in lieu of traveling the world. He was approached by the executives of Tribune Entertainment with a $25,000 offer to host a live event centered around an unopened vault believed to have been owned by infamous gangster Al Capone. <laughs> he initially turned it down, but said he would agree to it if they could double the pay. 
The folks at Tribune Entertainment agreed, and the wheels were in motion for the biggest letdown in live television history. Yeah, it, I, I just first the of all the premise of it, hearing it written out like that, <laughs> a mysterious vault from notorious gangster Scarface Al Capone. That, that's what they did. There's no way there's anything in this vault. <laughs> there's no way there's anything in from, there. From the start, it, it's so goofy. But and and there's, I mean, and the people knew it behind the scenes. You know, of course. there wasn't ever any any hope for but this. And Ryan. It, yeah, it, it, it's it's just such a funny thing. That's but also not the point. But already, you can tell there's nothing in it because a vault believed to have been owned. Like, not like a vault that like a vault that was definitely in Al Capone's possession. No. And it's just sitting here and, like, the TV crew is going to find it? Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, but we'll, Ryan, we'll get the, to how it was found. But, so, the point, but the point is, this is where <laughs> this is where it becomes brilliant. I'd always heard of what a fail it was. There was nothing in it. Once I saw it, this is where it becomes brilliant. I just want to see this special. I don't really care. What good is it going to do me if there's anything in there? Right. So what was in the vault, in fact, was the idea for this stupid special. Yes. Well, and a lot of other successes for some of the people involved. But we have to get into the other major figure of this. We have to get into Al Capone. Few criminals have reached the mythical status of Alphonse Capone, a.k.a. Scarface. Not just in America, but in many other parts of the world, Capone is synonymous with criminal excess, mafia cliches, unrivaled violence, and criminal influence on pop culture. His Chicago reign was felt in the biggest cities of America during the most fruitful time for organized crime, the Prohibition Era. This is like my least favorite uh, period in history. I really, <laughs> I really don't give a shit about old gangsters. I like... I'm like a 70s and up guy, you know? So when I'm talking about Al Capone, like, I'm just not impressed. I, I just don't care. I didn't know much about him. Uh, he's sort of a Robin Hood figure. You know, they're all the same. You've seen one, you've seen them all. But within this special is a pre-recorded documentary. See, I didn't know this. I thought it was just him talking for two hours. Oh, God. Is a great. You didn't like that? I thought it was a very interesting no, documentary. No, it would have been awful if it was just him talking for two hours. Yeah, this made me interested in the life of Al Capone. Right, and th and that's kind of why where I got a lot of my info for this. I thought I'd you know kill two birds, you know, with uh, one stone here, and just watch the whole thing, and that will be where I got the info. But I did have to look this up, and there's so much out there about Al Capone. When I was in like fifth grade, I had a little Al Capone book from the book fair, you know, like the Scholastic book fair. There was like a kids book on Al Capone. <laughs> from what I gathered from this this special. He was a bad guy, but everybody liked him. Yeah, yeah, like most you know criminals in in pop culture. Sociopath. Yeah, cult leader. But the Prohibition era began on January seventeenth, nineteen twenty, after the ratification of the Eighteenth Amendment to the United States Constitution. The amendment outlawed the sales and consumption of alcohol. But the amendment was actually ratified almost a year earlier. But it took a, about a full year to go into full effect and for all the new laws to be established. That and that is kind of where we get this gangster era because that year gave everyone plenty of time to figure out all of their new schemes and plans and get the speakeasies built and get tunnels built and, you know, figure out, okay, who can make liquor and where are we going to sell it? I mean, they had a year to plan, you know, it's like, it, get one over on those little old ladies who made it banned in the first place. Right. And the, yeah, the little, the whole, and the whole reason why alcohol was supposed to, you know, why they wanted to prohibit it is because women were getting the shit knocked out of them all, all the time. That's like one major part of it. There was such a domestic violence problem in certain parts of the country, literally just fueled by alcohol. And then also, you know, cars were being invented, <laughs> you know, cars were coming into play. People are now getting drunk and smashing up cars. There's all sorts of, 
stuff going into to why that happened but there's also a huge criminal lean on it because what better way to make money on something than to make it illegal right yeah so i mean it's just like with any other drug in the whole world Al Capone was one of the most bloodthirsty mobsters the golden age of gangsters had to offer. He was responsible for the deaths of hundreds, if not thousands of people, most notably the seven that died during the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Between booze running, gambling rackets, brothels, murder-for-hire schemes, and all types of money-related crimes, such as tax evasion, money laundering, and extortion, there was not a criminal pie in Chicago that did not have Al Capone's finger in it. Uh, but he did a lot of nice stuff, that documentary was saying, too. <laughs> like, he was like, oh, yeah. Like, uh, no, he had these nice parties that everyone liked. And uh, he really liked dining with celebrities. Like, like rich people liked him a lot. Hollywood movie stars liked him. Yeah, yeah. They, who, who, who wouldn't? But uh, one of my favorite things that he did was he lobbied for and got passed because of his influence, like, a, a dating system for milk, right? Not like a not like Tinder for milk. Like it's, a, it's like stupid expiration dates. Uh, yeah, expiration dates. They didn't have that at the time. And he's like, no, the children of Chicago need good milk. So like he was responsible for getting something like that passed. Just an interesting side note. Do you think that's true, or Mil do you think that's just some spin? I think it's true. He took I, credit for. I mean, I, I don't know. All the people that they had in in this special were all people that knew him. This was filmed in '86, so there were still people from the '30s and '40s that had dealings with him and run-ins with him. So you know, I I feel like a lot of that stuff credible and that yes is a cool part of this special is this pre-recorded thing but we will get into that in 1931 capone's luck had run out he was arrested for tax evasion and sent to alcatraz after a stay in a few other uh, institutions but alcatraz would prove to be the hardest for capone uh, like i said it was not his first time behind bars but it would prove to be his last while his life in prison is almost outrageous as his time on the outside one thing that he could not buy his way out of was a crippling case of syphilis that he had been developing for years syphilis will make you go crazy uh, not just because it hurts and it's like an std uh, it'll literally eat away at your brain and drive you insane and towards the end of his life uh like you know, yard workers and stuff, people that were around Capone, uh, one of them described him as being nuttier than a fruitcake, which is like, you know, they didn't have words for these things back then. They just had, uh, you know, fruitcake references. In 1939, Capone had been released from prison on humanitarian grounds. In 1947, he succumbed to a stroke and Scarface was no more. In the years following his death, there had been much speculation about a hidden fortune. This is common, it seems, after the death of an evil icon. Capone had several hideouts, headquarters, secret tunnels, and stash houses. In 1986, it was believed that one of these hidden treasure troves was located beneath the Lexington Hotel in Chicago, Illinois. That brings us to the mystery of Al Capone's vaults. <laughs> <laughs> it just so, sounds so stupid. It is stupid. It's the, it's a culture dump. What is going to be in there? Who cares? Yeah. It's been 50 years. Well, there, there's a couple things that could be in there that, that, we'll, that we will discuss. That's the whole reason behind this. The live syndicated special, The Mystery of Al Capone's Vaults, was conceptualized by John Jocelyn, Sheldon Cooper, Doug Lewin, and Alan Grafman. Doug and John had founded a production company called The Westgate Group, while Sheldon and Alan worked for Tribune Entertainment. After discussing the possibility of running a live special that would focus on the opening of a newly discovered vault believed to have been owned by Al Capone, they decided uh, to, to work together and put that together. I guess it came from, so this building, right? The Lexington Hotel. Cool old building. Very palatial, very run down. It's, like, it's kind of like the apartment in Home Alone 2. That's what it looks like at the time of the filming of the special. It's just like booby traps. Like they, 
there's all sorts of you know, damage done and, and all this. So that building was being purchased by a group for a pretty noble reason. And as they're starting construction and doing the assessment, they realize that there were these large, empty, concrete enforced vaults. Now, when we say vault, we're not talking about like a safe with like a combination. A vault is is a term used in architecture sometimes and in, in construction that just means an area you can't get into, like almost like a tomb. Like these are like th there were secret tunnels in Chicago and, you know, that, that were not necessarily secret, just underground. And they were used to transport freight during the winter and food shipments. And, yes, gangsters used them here and there to transport booze. And there were some secret passageways. But when those things would end up leaking, they would just section off that part of the tunnel with concrete and brick and what have you. And now there's just an empty spot. So that, that, that's what it is. It's not, it's not like a safe that they found. And everyone knew it was there. It's part of the building. Yeah, it's part of the building. It, it was no secret. Yeah, it, it, it's just part of the building. Uh, but this special was inspired by another special that had been put out by the production company TPE in 1984, where a vault found on the sunken ocean liner, the Andrea Doria, was opened on live television. Nothing was found inside besides some completely destroyed $20 bills and some destroyed Italian currencies. However, the special managed to rake in a 22 rating. The rating system is interesting. What that means is 22% of all household televisions or estimated household televisions were watching that. That were on. That were on, yes. Yeah. Had it on that special. And this is, this is where it really becomes genius. That never occurred to me. Live television is a premium because people are watching it. They want to see what happens. So as long as you can sell the sizzle, you don't need any steak. All the network has to do, it's really smart. People are going to watch. Advertisers will be happy. There's a Budweiser commercial. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everyone's going to tune in. And it's yeah. live. So if you don't see it, then you're not going to see it. You know, nowadays, like, nowadays what will happen is if something's live, they play it right afterwards. And then they play it later in the week. This was like, nope, you get this is Al Capone's special. And then, like, that's it. But you had a couple different channels to check it out on because it was a syndicated program. So that means it aired yeah. in a different channel in every market. Right. But it aired all over the world. And this is why they were doing, this is a new culture dump. Remember those live TV musicals they were doing the last couple of years? Like Grease Live on NBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, the reason they would do those, even though they were so horrible, is because it's live and you know someone's going to be watching it for the whole two hours. So if you put in 10 ads over those two hours, you're saying, oh, yeah, I need to go get a Budweiser. It's very See, smart. That, yeah, that is very smart. But also, why didn't they, I mean. A hustle. Worthy of Al Capone himself. himself. Yes. Yeah. Al Capone would have loved the mystery of Al Capone's vaults. Uh, you know, one person, you know. Get this. It, yeah. I have an idea. There'll be nothing in it. We don't know. It's everything else. Doesn't matter what's in it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's the journey. You know, it's, it's not that. Well, I, oh, my God. At, at the end of the special, there's this brilliant quote from Rivera that we will play for you. But we got to get back. We, we, we will get to our our actual review of the special as, as a whole, but I got to get through the, the history here. Larger networks refused to financially back such an ambitious and unsure project without knowing what was inside the vault. NBC, for instance, said, well, what's inside? They said, well, we don't know. They said, okay, well, then we're not going to do this. They're like, why would we do that? But eventually 
they, they found other other channels to take it on, you know, in all these different markets, and the advertising was was looking really good for them. So Tribune Entertainment decided to finance the project themselves for Westgate and lent a $900,000 loan to the project. The insurance and demolition crews alone would eat up a majority of that money. Another challenge was the timeline. Westgate had a mere four months to complete pre-production as well as get the construction to a point where they could bring down the final wall live on the air. Because they're not going to, I mean... There's hundreds of feet of concrete in this in this underground area, you know, this basement basically. And they would find these interesting little staircases that yes, you could say were 100%, you know, getaway staircases or little secret nooks and crannies, but for the most part this is just wall after wall of brick and concrete. So they needed to get in there for a while to find the one wall that they're like, okay, this wall must be the entrance to Al Capone's vault. But uh, on live television, anything can happen. The special itself was to be hosted by Geraldo Rivera, who was not the first or second choice for the job. And he and the documentary would be peppered with documentary, you know, style footage of Capone, along with interviews with law enforcement, weapons experts, ex-employees, and reporters who all encountered Capone at one time or another. They also had a medical examiner on the scene in case any hidden victims of gangland murders were found, as well as special agent Dennis Sansone of the IRS, who was there to seize the $800,000 in back taxes that Capone owed. Oh, <laughs> in case you. they were fuck there. Fuck you, IRS. Yeah. Fuck the tax man. Yeah, they're like, hey, hey, they're opening up Capone's vault. We better get our man down there. And of course, it's, it's, of course, it's like Sansone. Like, you know, yeah. it's just like, oh, I'm getting that money, Capone. You, 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 you know, you must have, you eluded my grandfather, but you're not going to get away from me. <laughs> it just goes to show you how bloodthirsty the government is. Like, the, like the man it, has been dead for, for 30 years. Yeah. Cut him a break. And well, also it's like, I mean, I, and I'm just picturing all this old money. Like if you have old cash, like for instance, if I had a bill from the twenties, no one's going to take that. You know what I mean? Like, no, like no one's. I think it's more a symbolic win for the government, but yeah, cares, like they guys. put it in a museum. Like, go under tax glass. some billionaires. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 so good. Your money there, but yeah. So so it's this big scene because it's like, are we gonna find bodies? Are we gonna find hordes of money? You know, are we gonna find weapons? So they brought in a weapons expert who's like an expert on the Tommy gun. So the Lexington Hotel by 1986 was an eyesore in the middle of the city. It faced demolition many times. It was finally purchased by Patricia Porter, the founder of Sunbow. Sunbow was an organization that aimed to provide job training to women, primarily in construction. They planned on using the hotel as a hands-on education tool for the members of their programs. It's a pretty cool program. They usually focus on, you know, uh, minorities and 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 especially you know it's all women but with a you know a lean towards minorities and they would give them job training for construction because they're like okay if you're like a single mother you're not going to cut it on like a restaurant job or whatever so they would get them these union jobs and they would buy projects for them to do so the whole thing was the lexington hotel was going to be demolished redone as a hotel and a woman's museum and you know it was going to be this big big project so as they were assessing the building they find this mob related kind of secret passageways and eventually what they think is a vault. Yes. A Capone's old hangout. Yes. Yes. Cause that, that famously, yes. One of his, you know, most notorious hangouts was the Lexington hotel. His office is still there. And yeah. So they thought, well, if anyone had a vault and if anyone's hiding anything down here, it would be Al Capone. 
The interest in the special began to grow rapidly, with huge corporations such as General Mills and Budweiser buying $2.4 million worth of ad spots. Many television channels it was shopped to cleared out primetime spots for this because this was going to be the biggest thing. For some reason, Al Capone, I mean, it just goes to show you how influential he is. I mean, if there was something, like if they really found Al Capone's vault now, people would still be interested. You know, they would talk about this special, but they'd be like, but no, this time they really got it and people would want to see it. You know, mm -hmm. I'd want to see what was in there. I've always wanted to see a picture of Al Capone like in just vibrant color in one of his green or yellow suits because I always read that he wore these crazy, you know, really colorful suits. Ooh, nice, nice thunder today. I'm, I better stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, <He's> listening. <laughs> hey, Capone ain't gonna like this. Yes, and the way that they, uh, the way that the pro producers garnered such interest in this program and raked up so much money in advertising is because they brought the pre-recorded stuff where they took Geraldo to the building and around the country, basically interviewing these people that had run-ins with Capone, and then they showed him that. And then all the rest is going to be filled in with him real like ad libbing on the spots. This is another thing that makes it compelling is Geraldo has, knows more about Capone than anybody at this point. He's put together this this news about him. He's interviewed the last remaining people who knew Capone personally. He's really invested in this vault. Oh, now. completely. He's intimately acquainted. All that's with Al left Capone. is the meat of the show. <laughs> like he made a perfect special on Al Capone. And then there's just this underlying fucking bullshit that's happening with it. And it's 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 hilarious. It, it really is. It, it's, it's a perfect, perfect dump. After months of filming and preparation, it was showtime. April 21st, 1986. Okay, now we can just get into the special here. What the fuck? Dude, the best part about it is right when it opens, inside this building... It's believed that there's a vault that might have belonged to maybe Al Capone. <laughs> it's very well put together, especially live. They're doing that as it's happening, the way they're all rolling in so seamlessly. Right. It's very well produced. Yes, yes. And well, and there's all these great clips, like for instance, at one point, you know, because it, it's intercut with all the documentary stuff, and then it goes back, we're here in the basement, and there's a whole team of guys digging shit out, and they get all excited because one of them finds, like, an old bottle. And it's like, oh, definitely, definitely the 30s. This is definitely a bottle from the 30s. And, and they're getting all into it, and they're like, okay, so this is the wall here. And what they had was this giant concrete slab with, like, chains attached to it. And they're like, we lowered in a little bulldozer. This was a huge ordeal to do this. And they're like, and we, we spent weeks cutting this, and it shows all these guys. Guys, you know, with these giant buzz saws cutting this thing. So all they had to do was pull it down. And then it goes, show some more documentary stuff, more documentary stuff. You wait another like 20 minutes and it's like, okay, we're going to pull it down, you know, clear. And, and they pull the thing down and it's just another brick wall <laughs> behind it. And they're like, fuck. And he's like, okay, uh, well, um, we're going to see what we can do here and uh, check this out. And then it just goes to, to the next thing. There's a part where Geraldo shoots a Tommy gun. It, yes. So they they're like, you know, <laughs> the the main tool. Well, here I want to I want to play this clip. This is Geraldo describing a Tommy gun while holding it in this hotel. Most civilians call it the Tommy gun. The mob called it the typewriter. And as you know, with it, they wrote a bloody tale of terror. If the Colt was the weapon that won the West, they say this was the weapon that made the twenties roar. And then there's this like grizzly weapons expert. He's like, oh yeah, no, they used to call it a paintbrush and uh, or no, no, it was a it was a, a bunker brush or a foxhole brush or so something a, a trench 
trench sweep. I don't know. The, the, he had the, the this grizzled gun expert had this great World War II name for the Thompson submachine gun, you know, aka the Tommy gun. And uh, you know, I guess the mobsters called it a typewriter, and that was the whole thing. But the craziest fucking thing is they let Geraldo blast it off in this hotel because I guess there was a shooting range installed, or what they believed to be a shooting range. This place is so wrecked. I don't know how you could tell what anything was, especially if there was stuff that you weren't supposed to know about. But they set up like these old bottles and her auto's just like <laughs> That would be so cool to shoot a Tommy gun in an old hotel. Yeah. Like an old hotel where like the guys that probably did the St. Valentine's Day massacre like practice shooting. That's the thing. It's it's fun. There's a sense of excitement. I even knew it was gonna happen, and I was like, "Who are we shooting a gun?" I didn't think. Yeah, that. no. There, oh. There's some cool stuff, and like, there's a a great guy that they interviewed throughout who was a news photographer, and he was always tipped off by the police or the mob. Like, okay, be here at this time, and he was the one that took the famous photos of the St. Valentine's Day massacre, where a bunch of mobsters are, you know, at at a restaurant, I believe, or in a hideout, and two cops come in, or who they think are cops, they line them all up against the wall and just blow them away. And the pictures are still super, super grisly. I mean, even compared to me in the Rotten.com age, uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre pictures uh, still hold up, if you will. But, like, he's shooting this gun, and then he's and then they take off the stock so he can shoot it, like, real gangster style. And at one point, he gets all overzealous, and he starts charging towards the targets. But, yeah, that, that's my favorite part. Um, I liked the – they have – they were like, okay, we're going to cut over to an Al Capone party yeah. at the Hyatt Hotel. And it's all these people in like flapper dresses and tuxedos. <laughs> the news guy's like, well, what do you think's in it? Uh, I, I don't know, cash maybe. Yeah. What about you? What do you think's in it? Uh, I think a car. A little car. Yeah. No, oh, what about I, you? What I'm, about I'm you? I'm going to play this. Uh, maybe a dead body. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to play this really quick. All right, those are some sample opinions from people not only here in Chicago, but all across the country. I thought very quickly we'd take a random survey here. You're dressed a la the Capone era, the 20... What do you think's in the bowl? Gosh, I don't know. Time will tell. Take a guess. Gosh, I don't know. How about you, sir? Well, I probably think there's bones in there. You think bones? I think there's yes, bones sir, in there. Yes, sir, what do you way. think? Cash, definitely. Cash, cash, cash. What do you think? Tickets to Hawaii. Tickets no. to Hawaii. All right. A sample of opinion of what people think. One more. How about you, sir? What do you think? Prohibition era stuff. Prohibition. And you, sir? Oh, I'd say a little cash. I haven't heard anybody say an awful lot of money. I think a lot of money. So let's go back now. We will be back at the Lexington to blow the vault right after these messages. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for coming out into the middle of nowhere for this event... Dressed like flappers and gangsters. Middle of nowhere. They're so Chicago. unenthusiastic. Yeah, it's like, I, look, yeah, they don't like care what's Alcohol's legal. The thrill is gone. Yeah. You know? There's, maybe. I don't know, some cash, maybe. Like, they don't, yeah, there's, they, yeah, car, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. What's the difference to you? You got yeah. to go to this party. You wouldn't have gotten to do it if it wasn't for Al Capone. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really absolutely doesn't matter. And then they cut back to Geraldo and, and they keep digging and digging and, oh, they find two more bottles. Uh, are these Al Capone's bathtub gin? Like they keep saying, there's no way to tell this. And then it cuts to the other thing where he's showing you the tunnels, you know, of the town that were installed legitimately, but were used for, you know, criminal purposes and what have you. Cuts back. Now they're going to bring in the big guns. They bring in a demolitions expert and he fucking puts dynamite in the thing and they're going to blow it out. And they bring in this like leather bound, like charge box. Like you would see like a cowboy blow up a railroad with and and like Geraldo's like, yeah, and just like uh, from a 1930s movie, blah blah blah. And he's really hamming it up the whole era. time. I will, I will give it to him. He really 
stretches. You know, he really keeps it going throughout the entire thing. And even when there's like nothing, he's just like, well, who's to say? But one thing's for sure. Al Capone was sure a bloodthirsty. And he just like keeps bringing back the same points. It's one of the it's one of the best. But then they're gonna blow the charges. So Geraldo, you know, gets to yell out, you know, fire in the hole, punches the thing, it explodes. They go over there. It's more dirt. <laughs> it's more and we're dirt. at we're at about an hour and forty five minutes at this point of the two hours. Yeah, and everyone like everyone's watching this. There's a party, a costume party happening down the street for this damn thing. And there's all these people there. There's all this advertisement, all this pressure. Geraldo hasn't done television. I believe it was like, like t- ten. Yeah, no, it, it was a. He really didn't do too. You much. said he got fired in eighty five. No, it was uh, it was um. Maybe I did say I don't know. It was well, 85. Was it 85? And this was in 86, yeah. Yeah. This is not that long after. He's still hot enough. Well, I, all I know is that when they... Uh, yeah, yeah, it was 85. Yeah, no, you are you are correct. I stand corrected. Um, and rightfully so. No, the whole thing was... Uh, the reason why I thought it was longer is because when they had to track him down, he was on a sailboat like in Panama. <laughs> and then like... They all right, like, I'll uh, do one more job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, double. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, one more job. <laughs> you remember what happened last time. But anyways, he blows the charges. More dirt. More brick. They start going through it. No more bottles at this point. And then he kind of just calls it. Well, they're out of the two hours, and they know they're not going to find anything. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Geraldo got 50000 for this. You said they did $2 million on advertising. Yeah. right, Just right out of the gate. Right out the gate, yeah. Out of the big sponsors, and there are other Budweiser, General too. Mills. Yeah. There are other ones, too, though. Oh yeah, but I mean, if you watch, well, yes, and uh, and I, I hate when you watch shit. There's so on, much on YouTube. More. There's no more like they don't leave the commercials in. because okay. I, I just love them. But yeah, well, it, with the ones that say like brought to you by, like at the end of yeah. that show, the graphic on the screen right after like the great font that Al Capone's vault is in. It's in like that old Hollywood like glistening like old school gold font. So Ryan, think about this. There's maybe gonna be eight hundred thousand dollars in this vault for the IRS to take, <laughs> or. And inflation, but, you know, or millions of dollars in advertising revenue. Right. That's the vault. Plus the glory. Or Yeah. But they also, cracked it. That was was in it was this publicity stunt. Yes. No, no, exactly. Exactly. And also this, uh, the, the great moment when Geraldo re- realizes there's nothing in there and the whole crew kind of does. And they're, they're not, bummed. they're trying not, yeah, he's bummed, but he's also trying not to laugh because he realizes what a farce it's been. And, and like... And uh, he has this great, poignant ending quote for it. You know, uh, when we began opening this vault nearly two hours ago, we had no real idea what we'd find inside. As it turns out, we haven't found very much, at least not uh, not yet. In any case, I think that... Kill the answer to Richard. A legend, a half century old or so, has been resolved. I don't know if we've gone far enough. I mean, we found the other wall. Over there, there may be more to be discovered, maybe, maybe not. We found the secret tunnel, we found the hidden stairways, we found the other private spaces. We talked to a lot of people, you know, older people whose memories I think would have otherwise been uh, forever lost if it wasn't for this program. It seems, at least up to now, that we've struck out with the vault. I'm disappointed about that, as I'm sure you are. This is one time in my life that a uh, pot of gold would have been a lot more fun than uh, chasing the rainbows. In any case, uh, you get a white shot. Show my team here. They work their hearts out. You know, come on there, guys. All right. Uh, you know, all right. Back down. I got to see how Claire's picture. All right. Now, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the adventure of the chase. You know, to briefly review, 
We found some bottles. We found, we found some other artifacts. The tunnels, uh, or rather the vaulted space, did date back to uh, the time of Scarface Al Capone. Uh, but, I don't know, our seismic or sonic tests must have uh, been uh, slightly awry because we didn't find the uh, much heralded hollow spaces that we were led to believe were in there. Um, so, uh, what can I say? I'm sorry. I would thank my buddies here for doing the job. Uh, thank you for watching. I promised all the critics that if we didn't find anything, I'd sing a song. So, uh, uh, Chicago, Chicago, that's Holland Town. All right, I'm going. I'll see you. It is kind of a, a devastating thing. This is going to be like his his big uh, comeback, you know, after you know getting fired and and all that. And then Al Capone's it's the mystery. The mystery was that, yeah, there was nothing in there. That's the thing about a mystery is you don't know. Right, it could go either way. And, and I guess you know, according to the story, I got I got a lot of uh, info from this uh, the, the website Mental Floss. They do these spoken or like these like oral history oral history articles, right? Like I. I found one for the Lilith Fair for, for that episode where it's like key players just kind of telling the story, you know, and it's all mixed together. And they all said, Geraldo included, that they went to a bar afterwards, like all the construction workers and like the whole crew. And they went to a bar and I'm just picturing them walking in and everyone in the bar was watching that. <laughs> Turn that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like, just like, like, just like either a silent slow clap or like just they're just railed up. They probably had to go to like four bars to find a place that wasn't watching that shit. But I love that. And yeah, he, he had a, he had a bunch of drinks. But while the goal of the show was not reached, the ratings goal was exceeded. Rather than the twenty share rating they hoped for, they ended up with a thirty five share. That's, that's crazy. A, that's a huge, huge. That's like Super Bowl shit. I mean, it's it's really, really, really up there. And this is syndicated. This isn't like NBC was carrying this. Or right. Was they refused because there was, they, they did this themselves. They knew, DIY. Yeah. They, yeah. They knew that there was nothing in there. Yeah. So they. Yeah. It was a syndicated special. It's the top rated syndicated special that there has ever been. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting. The failure of the mystery of Al Capone's vaults actually helped to boost the career of almost everyone involved, especially Geraldo, who went on to host his own wildly successful daytime talk show, along with being a top correspondent for some of the biggest stories of the next couple decades leading up till now. I mean, he's still on television all of the time. That crazy mustache. Yeah, crazy mustache. Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> that, that's, that's really a, a lot of people's only complaint with him. But Geraldo's show could have well, been... his name is ridiculous. Yes, Geraldo Rivera. And that's not even the name he was born with. There's been, like, Gerald spelling Rivers. changes. and Yeah, yeah, Gerald, uh, Riviera. There, there's been a lot of different uh, come and goes. And also, uh, he was mentioned on a podcast 99 I just realized on our uh, quarantine survivor special when I had the guy Colin who worked with the vendor team it was like the three person interview that we did he did an interview with Geraldo over the phone and he called him uh, Jerry <laughs> like on purpose because he heard that that would piss him off and they never used his interview but it was about like what happened at Woodstock 99 and stuff and he's just like yeah Jerry uh, it's good to be here and like that just like Cut, cut it out. But yeah, he's still around. Uh, one of the best Geraldo moments, I would say second best to Al Capone's vault, is the infamous episode of his show where he had a bunch of skinheads and clans members on with a bunch of, you know, members of the, you know, minority Not skinheads. Yeah, not skinheads. Yeah, everyone yeah. else. Decent human yeah. beings. Yeah, and a, a huge fight broke out and uh, someone threw a chair and Geraldo got his nose broken uh, on, on television. Now that's TV. You know what I mean? I mean, shit. But honestly, it's it's entertaining television when it's in the confines of the Geraldo Rivera set. But when it's happening on the streets, it's not as it's funny. 
you know. Well, who helped <laughs> normalize it? Geraldo. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Geraldo. So there was, a, a, you know, and all the producers, because they were able to sell so much advertising on those specials, everyone wanted to work with them. Like, that thing had such high ratings that even though, like, and it became part of the lexicon. Like, it's like a trope, you know, much like Jumping the Shark, like an Al Capone's vault moment. There's been plenty of others. There was there was some of those before that, you know, <laughs> like the, there was the, the one on the cruise, on the ocean liner. Everyone just likes to kick somebody when they're down and shit on Geraldo for this. But, it, you know, uh, there's uh, you got to find the soundbite from The Simpsons when Homer is in the B sharps and he's trying to write a new hit song. Yeah. He says, there was nothing in the vault, <laughs> but it wasn't Geraldo's fault. <laughs> oh, man. Fuck. If I can find that, it's going to go right here. There was nothing in Al Capone's vault, but it wasn't Geraldo's fault. So there has been another special that I was really interested in that is very has very similar vibes to the, the mystery of Al Capone's vaults. And this is Eaten Alive. Eaten Alive, another failed live event that was filmed for the Discovery Channel on December 7th, 2014. The idea behind the special was that renowned wildlife author and television personality Paul Rosalie would track down the world's largest green anaconda known as Chumana and while wearing a specially designed suit would be eaten alive. So already this has the makings of that's not going to happen. You know, you're going to get eaten by an anaconda. Like maybe if he was like, I'm going to get eaten by like a whale or something. I could see like a person getting, I just don't see that this working out well. And uh, neither did anyone else, but that didn't stop it from being so highly rated. When the show was announced, it was immediately protested by animal rights groups, such as PETA. The production was also plagued by failures, the biggest of which being they could not find Chumana. So an anaconda from a local zoo was used instead. How do you like, you, like imagine having to rent an anaconda. They're like, well, what's it for? Oh, filming for discovery channel. Oh, okay. Like just like, we're talking about anacondas? No, we're, we're going to feed them to it, or we're going to feed a guy to it. Well, when they say local zoo, this is like a Joe Exotic zoo that had one. This isn't a real zoo. I think it was like a legit zoo. I, well, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's reptile zoos all yeah. over the... Yeah, you, you're very... And I could, what if it was just like Joe Exotic? Like, you're going to feed... I'm watching this shit. <laughs> that, that's kind of the, the life I wish uh, I was living. Not only did they have to douse Rosalie in pig's blood to interest the snake, but he had to tap out when the snake began to constrict with Rosalie not in the planned position, nearly breaking his arm. <laughs> so he was supposed to be, I think, like arms just straight down at his side. And once it started happening, you know, it started moving really fast and, and twisting and turning and he couldn't get into the proper position. He could feel the bone in his arm bending and he's like, oh, shit. So I like. I'm sorry, that snake is designed to digest fucking, like, crocodiles and, like, huge, like, impalas and stuff. It's like, you think... Man. Yeah, like, it will crunch you. Like, what? Like, and also, yeah, why would you want to do that to a poor snake? Like, a majestic, one of the biggest creatures... Scariest animal on Earth, a gigantic snake? Yeah, very very scary. Name a scarier animal. Tarantula. You could step on a tarantula. You could step on it. Well, yeah. Not an anaconda. Nah, nah. Could See, choke but I wouldn't want to step a on a tarantula. A boa constrictor could choke you to death. Ugh. Yeah, no, yeah. People die from, from these all the time. And I, I follow a lot of... Um, a snake could bite you with poison. Like, I, I, <laughs> I'm i really scared of, of snakes, but I follow all these guys on Instagram that like have their own like crazy selection of venomous snakes like in their garage. And there's like a special like name tag on each one with like their like 
proper scientific name just in case they get bit like for the like poison you know or the the venom control people or whatever but it's like who the fuck needs that? I'm sorry, you just don't need that kind of shit. And you, no one needs to get eaten by a snake. 4.1 million people tuned into the special. And the company 1-800-CONTACTS even made a commercial, especially because they bought a ton of ad time on that. They were going to have a special commercial produced, and they decided not to air it, and instead reshot some of the stuff and edited it to be like about how eaten Alive didn't work out. So the thing is, people still do this. It's called No News or Hypothetical News Specials. It's left a lasting impression on on television because what it means and what it meant for TV is you don't actually have to have the thing. Like imagine like for instance, uh, like the ID channel or like sci-fi channel, they have an history channel too. all these ghost shows or like in search of Bigfoot or in search of UFOs. Like you can make an argument that any of those things exist, but are they ever going to like find it on the show and be like, look at this fucking real ghost. Look like we found Bigfoot. This is on the news. That's why you never see like, again, like ABC doing like Bigfoot. Like they don't like, because there's, it's not, they're not going to have it, but we watch it just in case. Hey, man, life ain't about the pot of gold. It's about the rainbows. It's about the rainbows, and that's the lesson to be learned from the mystery of Al Capone's vaults. Adam, what have you been up to? You've been doing uh, rock and roll parties? Yeah, rock and roll party, my rock and roll talk show. Uh, we're going to try to do it on Twitch. All right. We're going to experiment with that. But it's on YouTube now. Um, my tour company, if you're in L.A. and you want to know more about the O.J. trial or the Vanderpump Rules or Curve Your Enthusiasm, <laughs> uh, hit me up. Those are my three things I'm an expert in. Um, other, you know, than, than TV and fast yeah. food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Geraldo. Wow, what a, what a life I've built for myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, we're trying to get a, a band going, but our practice space burned down. Oh, my God. That's a, not our unit technically, but it smells like smoke. Ah, well. Yeah. Whatever. The Smokies. Maybe that's what we could call our band. Yeah. They, yeah. The Smokies. The Smokies. That's the band I want to see. Yeah. All right, folks. If you have a Culture Dumps suggestion, send it on over to us on Instagram at Culture Dumps or send us an email at culturedumps at gmail.com. For exclusive Culture Dumps and Podcast 99 content, be sure to subscribe to patreon.com slash culture dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by Adam Papagan. We'll see you next time. The mystery of Al Capone's vaults will continue after these messages.